Hey, you guys, Rachel here. Maria too. And we are so excited to tell you about a new resource for the FTD community. Learn FTD is a website stocked full of FTD resources, information on genetics and genetic testing, and useful ways to talk to your loved one's physician about symptoms. Learn FTD also provides information about FTD as a whole. It even expands to the impact on families and finances. We think it's also a great place to direct extended family and friends to help them learn more about the disease. Their website is just so easy to understand. Definitely take a look at www.learnftd.com for more information. That's www.learnftd.com. My name is Maria and I'm Rachel and we're the hosts of Remember Me. Our podcast is dedicated to preserving the memories of those diagnosed with dementia. We hope this episode helps you feel more connected, provides a deeper understanding and allows you to learn to accept the good. Always, always accept the good. This is Remember Me. In today's episode, you'll hear an interview we did at the ISFTD conference in Lille, France. We sat down with Penny Dax, the AFTD's Senior Director of Scientific Initiatives, and we discussed with her all things research and the many avenues for you to get involved. As AFTD's Senior Director of Scientific Initiatives, Penny leads strategy for AFTD's research programs. She shares a little bit about that in today's episode, and she also serves as president of the FTD Disorders Registry. And before we jump into the episode, we just want to say a quick special thank you to the AFTD for being one of the contributing supporters of our trip to ISFTD. We are sitting in France together in Lille, so pardon the echo, everyone. Uh, We're sitting in a nice little conference room, and we're going to talk about hope. What is the most important thing you want families to know right now about the current state of research? There is such hope, and I feel that. I feel that as a person who has had dementia in her family. I feel that as somebody who's committed their lives to trying to accelerate treatments and better care options for everybody. I think it's hard for people to see that hope when they're on the receiving end. But, you know, 10 years ago, we were, as an organization, trying to get more and more folks into research, meaning get researchers putting dollars and get funders putting dollars into research and putting minds on research. Now our rate limiting factor is often the number of people able to participate. And every single person out there needs to be able to make their own decision about if and where they're they're able to participate. And sometimes we have mismatches where most of the opportunities might be for certain people, but not everybody. And there's reasons for that that we can go into. But what fills me with hope is knowing that there are so many different clinical research programs that are underway. There are many different clinical trials happening right now that could actually be profoundly helpful to some of the people with FDD. We don't know, but we won't know unless we test it. 
and just being here in France and seeing just this international collaboration and collegiality across so many brilliant minds, both senior and junior. I heard uh, Dr. John Van Sweeten speak yesterday as the president of ISFTD. He's one of the many brilliant leaders in this space, and he was speaking about the progress over the last 30 years. So one of the things he said at the beginning was like back in the 1990s when he was getting started in research, people were wondering, like, how do you even define what is FTD? They couldn't even agree on what you call it. And then they started trying to figure out, well, what causes it, right? And 30 years later, there's just so much work that's happening. We know we've identified specific causes. We've identified lots of different families. And I think of it in some ways as like, we, we've had a tendency in neurology to jump to trying the treatments really fast because that's what everybody wants, including the scientists who are doing the work. And frankly, they fail because it's like trying to go find a distant island when you're on a raft and you don't have a map, right? So a lot of the last 30 years has been building this foundation of knowledge it's been about building the tools. And the way I see it is that right now, we have the tools for certain types of FTD that could, like, I'm really hopeful for some of these trials that are going on. And there's still tools that we're developing for all forms of FTD. But I mean, when I think globally about what people should understand is just, it's gonna take all of us working together. And if somebody's not right for research, that's their choice or, or maybe just what's eligible for them. But being aware of what's happening and keeping your eye on that is so important because the opportunities right now may be different than they are in five years. Just like 20 years ago, like not everybody maybe would be right for genetic testing and maybe it's not right for everyone now. But being aware of what opportunities are happening to me is just part of how you also have spread awareness, right? And participate when it's right for you. We talked a lot about this on the mini-series, but I think it's important for our listeners to hear it again and maybe from a, a different person. What is the difference between research, genetic testing, and a clinical trial? A clinical trial is one form of research, right? So there's lots and lots of different kinds of research. We need research to understand how the brain functions normally. We need to research to understand what goes wrong with the brain, what goes wrong with FTD specifically, and how do you measure that, right? And then if you think you know what's going wrong, well, then you need to create some kind of treatment that's going to modify that, that's going to improve somebody's lives or, or delay or stop the disease. Then you have to do trials to test it. So the clinical trials are testing whether or not a treatment may or may not work. And in other fields, it's actually even part of standards of care, like meaning if you go through cancer and if there's no treatment available for your type of cancer, then the question is, are there clinical trials testing experimental medicines? We don't know if they're going to work. They may not. But it's part of the question that people ask in their journey. And I think that we're getting to the space with FTD that that's where we need to be too, because 10 years ago, there weren't trials testing treatments. And now the treatments that we have, they're not recruiting for everybody, and there's reasons for that. But they are recruiting for some people, and making sure that those people are aware of the opportunities and their families are. And if it's not right for them, frankly, helping us as an organization at AFTD to know why they don't want to, because a big part of what we're trying to do is help empower our community to make decisions for themselves and empower the community researchers to understand how to work with our community and really serving as a bridge between those two. So someone might be listening and being like, this all sounds great. Yes, I want to get involved. Where would you start if you're saying, I want to get involved in research or clinical trials or see if, you know, my loved one qualifies? Like, where, where do you go first? 
The first place we suggest is the FTD Disorders Registry because it's an online database that somebody can join. Your information is never shared with anybody else in an identifying way, and it, but it's a place where they can then get more information about research. AFDD's website is maybe a first step if they're not ready to do that, um, but then if they are ready to learn more really about research, um, the FTD Disorders Registry has partnerships with about 18 different clinical research studies, and it will take the information that someone shares with them about what are what is their loved one's experience, and then we'll send them targeted messages if there are research opportunities that they're aware of that matches them. And the power is fully in the hands of the person who's affected, who's wanting. It's just, it's an information tool in many ways, and it's a way to gather and share information. So there's a lot of survey-based research that goes through it to say, what is your lived experience, and how do we make sure that the researchers are designing their studies with that understanding? The other really important way, though, is talking to the clinicians that are in the space. I mean, there's some brilliant tertiary medical centers. The only reason I didn't start with that is because it's not accessible to everybody. You know, somebody who's already connected with a lot of those leading spaces, they don't need me to tell them <laughs> about the opportunities. I'm speaking to the folks out there who don't have, you know, the, the Mayo Clinic or the UCSF or the University of Pennsylvania or all the other brilliant centers, both in the States as well as around the globe. So... You know, we're trying to reach folks where they are. And what does the AFTD do to accelerate research to a cure? That's a long question. All these things are. Um, for many, many years, AFTD has been trying to seed research to get work happening in this space. So in research specifically, we have funded 77 projects and $24.5 million since 2015. And some of that has been leveraging resources from related fields, so trying to attract folks from Alzheimer's and ALS and other fields like that. A lot of it's early career support as well, trying to get things going. All of our funding programs are designed to be catalytic. Well, we, we're never going to be able to fund something in its entirety. That shouldn't be our goal as a nonprofit. We're trying to fund the seeds that get the researchers the core pieces of data that then they need to compete for the truly large pieces of dollars that are not focused on FTD, but for which AFDD could compete if they have those core kernels. There's a lot of other areas of work that has been evolving, So, um, because the whole space is evolving and we need to evolve with it. So as I've mentioned a couple times now, that there's just a lot of work happening that wasn't happening 10 years ago. So we've been helping to convene for years this what we call the FTD Treatment Study Group, for example, where it's just a place where the academic leaders and the industry leaders and the FDA are all present and discussing what does it take to do clinical research. And 10 years ago, the rec like, the recommendation from that meeting was we're ready to do clinical trials for FTD. And we held another one in December 2021, and now there's lots of clinical trials actively happening. So the questions have changed, and every single research study is asking the same questions of how do we design the trials? How do we even measure what matters to people in an efficient way in a clinical trial? That's actually a really hard question to answer for a disease that's as heterogeneous. How do we get enough people for our trials? How do we design our clinical trials so that it's not burdensome to people and so that we don't need as many people and we don't have as many people exposed to placebo, but still meet the requirements that are justly demanded to say, let's not be telling folks take these medications and not even knowing if they work. So a large part of what we do is, is trying to convene the leaders in many different stakeholder spaces. Um, the third arm, I would say, is that we do a lot trying to ensure that the people with lived experience with FTD are empowered and informed about the opportunities available to them. And in turn, when I say empowered, I also mean that they're empowered to share their experience and their voice to the researchers, to the regulators, 
So for example, we did a, what's called an externally led patient-focused drug development meeting for the FDA back in 2020, where we had a half day of just testimonials and lived experience that was really crafted based off of the questions that the FDA likes to hear. We've also did a large survey in collaboration with the FDD Disorders Registry of 1,800 people responded and shared their lived experience. This was across caregivers, biological family members, persons diagnosed. What is it like to live with FDD? It feels really obvious to those of you who do live it, right? But part of your work, right, is reaching out to folks because they, they feel alone, right? And they don't see that everybody understands their experience. Well, researchers are human too, right? And how does a researcher know how to design a clinical trial that actually matches the needs of a behavioral variant FTD population, or PPA, right? Or CPS, or, or PSP, or FTD-ALS? So a large part of our work is trying to help bridge all of those different groups. And as an advocacy organization with deep ties and trust to our community, of course, there's just so much that we feel responsibility to make sure that our community's values are represented, and that folks know how to work with our community. Um, so we have five mission pillars at AFTD. There's advocacy, awareness, education, um, support, and research. And so research is only one of those pillars, but every single one of those pillars are related to each other. We also do a lot for the FTD Disorders Registry. We co-founded it with the Bluefield Project, another amazing organization, and we're really both committed to the success of the registry. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back. Hey, listeners, Maria here. I wanted to share an exciting resource we've been getting to know within the FTD community. Learn FTD is a website stocked full of useful FTD resources, information on genetics and genetic testing, useful ways to talk to your loved one's physician, and so much more. Presented in an extremely understandable way, Learn FTD provides thorough and extremely helpful information across many facets of the disease. But more than that, Learn FTD discusses how your participation in research and clinical trials can provide hope and a path forward, while sharing guidance and tips you can use today. For more information and to join their email list, visit learnftd.com. Let's get into the genetic testing of it all. Can, can you kind of walk us through you know, what we need to know about that process and getting people involved? So it's, to, before I answer the question specifically in genetic testing, let's just step back for a second and say what are, what's the relationship with genetics and FTD, right? And there's a couple big picture things people should understand. One is FTD is not one disease. It's, it's actually more of an umbrella term for there's different, different causes. And depending on where it's happening in the brain, it can cause different symptoms. So most FTD is not genetic, right? So the average person that's out there who has FTD in their family does not, it's probably not genetic, and it's probably nothing that they're not at higher risk just because they have their loved one who got this. But at the same time, there is genetic forms of FTD. Some are autosomal dominant, inherited, and we've learned so much about those genetic causes in particular because big part of the problem with research is that we don't know what's happening in that black box of a brain. And we've been developing all kinds of tools to try to measure it, to give a window to see it, but those tools are still barely being matured. So on a research side, we all want to have every single person with FTD in a clinical trial. The reality is somebody with a given type of FTD, we don't necessarily know what's causing it. So if you're developing a treatment, how do you know which person should be tested for it, right? So because of that reality, most of the drug development right now with active treatments in testing 
is for genetic forms of FTD. So right now, most of the trials are for people who have progranulin variants. There's also some for C9 variants. And I think this whole landscape is going to be evolving a lot. I think there's going to be some in the coming five years for MAPT variants, for example. There's a lot of more rare forms as well. This whole space is going to evolve. But what it means for genetic testing, right, is that a lot to know if you're eligible to participate for this clinical research, in many of the trials will require that you get genetic testing because they don't know whether or not you're eligible for their treatment unless you do. Now, there's other types of research as well. So I know you guys have done some brilliant profiles of the All-FTD program, right? And you, and you can participate in All-FTD, and that's more about let's map the course of how FTD develops over time and have people participating who may never get FTD and there'll be controls, right? And have people participating who will develop because they're from those genetic families. Have people tested who maybe don't have genetic forms but they're from the sporadic incidents, right? So that's about mapping it over time and you can participate in all FTD without knowing what your genetic status is. The clinical trials, invariably, you will have to know if you want to have access. So what we see though is that there's so much hope again for all of the, i mean these are families that face this generation after generation i mean what the tragedy to me is just so hard some of these treatments could be profoundly helpful and there's more coming down for testing and one of the things they're struggling with is finding enough people who are willing to participate so for the clinical trials that are actively testing potential treatments for genetic forms of ftd particularly for progranulin they need participants fundamentally. Now, the decision about getting genetic testing is a personal one for the family. And so one of the things AFTD drums down hard on whoever we talk to is that every person should have access to counseling before they go through testing so that they've really thought through the ramifications. And, um, you know, to my mind, um, this is so region specific because there are things like insurance ramifications, for example, right? And then there's questions about does the whole family want to know? And there's questions about um, long-term care insurance, not just health care insurance, right? And then, so it's not a decision that anybody should make lightly. And I can say that AFTD believes very strongly that counseling should be made available to anybody who has FTD and their family members. Um, whether or not they choose to then go on and get testing is a personal decision. But for families that have this in their, in their family, who know that A, there's a treatment that might actually help the person who's living with these symptoms right now, and B, could help the next generation or the brother or the cousin, right? This is an opportunity in time that this is time sensitive even, that there's treatments now that could be, I mean, I don't know, we don't know. And that's part of the problem with all drug development. We don't know until the results are done. This is research. But I am so hopeful that some of these treatments are going to be profoundly helpful for people. So I always think kind of like in a tactical way for our caregivers because they're going to get excited and be like, okay, now, now what do I do? So if you're listening to this and you want to find out your genetic status and get that all started and you don't live in you know, UCSF, Penn, all those areas... Would the FTD disorders registry be where you go, or where would you go to start that genetic testing process? And as a two-parter to that, what types of resources does the AFTD have to help support people with that genetic um, genetic counseling and figuring out, you know, the life insurance and all all that comes with that? Yeah, I think that's a really important question because at the end of the day, pragmatics are what makes things happen. So we always have to focus on that, right? 
And part of the challenge with communicating effectively is that this is changing. My answer to you today would be, if I actually went into the details, um, would be different than it would be six months ago because some of the resources that had been available have not, are not available now. And there's resources that we are working on that may be emerging that might be available in six months that are not available now. So to my mind, the most important question, the most important answer, and again, this is for people who do not have access to, say, one of the incredible genetic counselors that specialize on FTD at tertiary medical centers, which, I mean, the, the bottom line is we hope everybody can get access to a tertiary medical center. If they can't, and, and heck, even if they can, we do have a lot of information on our website, on the AFTD website, on genetics for FTD. And it's structured in a way to first ground people in what is the genetics and the background there, and then what they should know about some of these different pieces. And then there's a specific page on access to sponsored testing programs. The companies that are doing the trials right now are working so hard to find people for their trials, and also wondering about who's gonna take their drug if it gets to market, that a lot of them are offering genetic testing and counseling programs. Within the United States, sometimes your clinician can also su subscribe it. It's not always covered by insurance, but that varies. So you can always talk about it first and foremost with your clinician. If you wanna know about what other types of programs are out there, I would encourage you to go to the AFTD's website. It's got a lot of information there and we are doing our best to always keep it current so that as those resources evolve, you'll always know what, what's available for you. The last piece is the registry because the registry has its own information, AFTD and, and the registry are actually partnering to make sure that we're always current with each other, because sometimes they get the information first, sometimes we do. They've got some infographics, for example, that they developed with the University of Pennsylvania on different aspects of genetics. And again, the registry is a place where if you want to know about opportunities available to you, if you've become a registry participant, it's free, it's easy, and then over time, you can get sent information about the different opportunities available to you. So nobody's sharing your name or your email address. If it goes in the registry, it's locked down. Nobody shares that without your express permission. And actually, we don't even share it with your permission right now. So you know that I lost my dad to behavioral variant, Maria lost her mom to PPA, and we have a lot of listeners who we like to call they're on the other side of this journey. So their loved one has passed away. What is one thing you can offer them, one piece of advice, one word of encouragement to keep going? You know, like we don't have a loved one in it anymore. They're gone. So how do you keep families and people like us interested in this? Because what you do matters at the end of the day. Whether you're somebody who is locally supporting the people in your community who have FDD, whether you're somebody who's willing to talk with courage about what your family experienced so that the next person knows what, that they're not alone. I mean, access to diagnosis is one of the most foundational problems that we face with FTD, right? So, I mean, think about as these treatments and these trials emerge, we also know that the sooner people have access to diagnosis itself, the more they'll be able to consider participating in trials. If there's a drug available for them, then the sooner they'll be able to access it and better maintain their function, cross fingers that those treatments will work, right? I mean, every single person working to help with awareness, with education, with just support for families, going there to just you know sit there and hold the hands of somebody, like from my mind, that helps every single facet of what we do, including on the research side. Because if people don't feel able to talk about it, they don't feel able to participate because they're just dealing with the, the gritty realities of this, right?
I, I remember when I went to an event recently, I was so fortunate to attend. It was just a beautiful event that was hosted by a family. And it was just struck me on how their community had really come around them to support them. Like the family was doing a lot to then try to give back, you know? But it just struck me that the entire community that they had around them and the support that they'd had from that community was in turn part of what they were able to do. So again, I'm just a very wordy answer, but I would say what, what you do matters. And every single person in this space, no matter what they are doing, if it's related to FTD, we are a small community and we need to be together in whatever way we're able to do so. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. We release new episodes each week on Tuesdays, so be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts. If you want to connect with us, you can follow us on Instagram at Remember Me Podcast. You can visit our website, RememberMeFTD.com, for more information on FTD, resources, and ways to support our podcast like joining Remembers Only. This podcast is produced by Maria Kent Beers and Rachel Martinez, and the beautiful music you hear is a song called So Damn Lucky by Bailey Kent.